0: So most of you know that I was raised in the Orthodox Church. And if you've read uh, Pure Scum, then you know why I'm not a Greek Orthodox priest today. But you would not know the kinds of things that I was required to deal with, me and every other young Greek Orthodox child growing up in that ancient expression of Christianity, Let me just say that the Greeks have had 2,000 years to interpret the things found in the Old and New Testaments and then to make up rules about how to stay close to those teachings. And so what I thought I'd do is I thought I'd let you know just some of the rules that I struggled with. These are not made up. You can find them on multiple Orthodox websites. So Let us begin. Standing versus sitting. When should you stand in the Orthodox Church? The quick answer is most of the time. Always during the gospel reading, the little and the great entrances, the anaphora, the distribution of Holy Communion, whenever the priest gives a blessing and the dismissal. In many parishes, the divine liturgy books in the pew have the suggested times, usually marked by an asterisk, when sitting is acceptable. Following those instructions is probably safer than imitating what the old ladies in the first two rows do. But when in doubt, stand because it's never wrong to stand in church. Lighting candles. Orthodox people typically light candles when coming into the church, and that's usually the best time to light them, but there are times when candles should not be lit. It is not proper to light candles during the epistle reading or the gospel readings, during the little entrance or the great entrance, during the sermon, and most of the times when the faithful are standing, which is most of the time. Entering the church late The time to arrive at church is before the service starts, but for some unknown reason, it has become the custom, or rather the bad habit of Greeks, to come to church late. People who come late to the divine liturgy should not partake of the Eucharist. They should not take Holy Communion. And you thought the Catholics were strict. Crossing your legs in church. Should we cross our legs in church? No. No. Not because it's wrong to ever cross legs, but rather because it is just too casual and too relaxed for being in church. Just think about it. When you get settled in your favorite chair at home, you lean back, you cross your legs, and then your mind can wander anywhere it wants to. Remember that sitting in church is a concession, not the normative way of prayer, which is to stand... You surely don't want to get too relaxed and let your mind wander off too much. In fact, when you do sit in church, you should sit attentively and not too comfortably. When sitting in church, keep those feet on the floor, whether to stand at attention, because that is what the deacon means when he says, Let us attend. Cross yourself with your fingers and your hands, but do not cross your legs, which brings us to venerating icons when you enter the church it's traditional to venerate or kiss the icons usually there are icons at the entrance of the church and many churches have icon stands in the front as well when venerating an icon pay attention to where you kiss it is not proper to kiss an icon on the face no no you wouldn't go up and kiss the lord or his mother on the lips would you You would kiss their hand and only... If they invited you, would you even dare to kiss them on the cheek? Pay attention to what you are doing. When you approach an icon to venerate it, kiss the gospel, the scroll, or the cross in the hand of the person depicted in the icon, or kiss the hand or the foot of the person. As you venerate the icon, show proper respect to the person depicted in the icon, the same respect you would show the person by venerating him or her in an appropriate place. And remember, blot off your lipstick ladies before kissing it's kind of like the godfather you kiss the ring it's a sign of respect kiss don't shake the priest's or the bishop's hand did you know that the proper way to greet a bishop or a priest is to ask his blessing and to kiss his right not his left hand How do you do this? Approach the priest or bishop with your right hand over your left hand and say, Father, in the case of a priest, or Master, in the case of a bishop, please bless. He will make the sign of the cross and place his right hand over yours. This is much more appropriate and traditional than shaking their hands. After all, the priest and the bishop are not just one of the boys. When you kiss their hands, you show respect for their office. They are the ones who bless and sanctify you and who offer the holy gifts on your behalf. So next time you greet your priest or bishop, don't shake his hand. Ask for a blessing. Sunday dress. All too often, dress in church has become too casual. We should offer Christ our Sunday best, not our everyday or common wear. Here are some specific guidelines that we use in our parishes. Children, only young children under 10 years old, should wear shorts to church and then only dress shorts. Athletic shorts, cutoffs, and spandex shorts are never appropriate church wear for children or for adults. Shoes or sandals should be clean and tied. No one should wear T-shirts with any kind of writing in them. This bud is for you is definitely out. Women, dresses should be modest. No tank tops or dresses with only straps at the shoulders. No short skirts, no mini skirts, no skin-tight dresses. Dresses should have backs and not be cut low in the front. If women wear pants to church, they should be dress slacks, not jeans, leggings, etc. Shorts of any type are not appropriate for church. Men should also dress modestly. While coat and tie are not mandatory, shirts should have collars and be buttoned to the collar. The actual collar button may be left undone, but two or three buttons undone is inappropriate. They don't want to be seeing the hairy chest and the gold chains in church. No, thank you. (laughs) Slack should be cleaned and pressed. Jeans of any color are usually too casual for church, especially ones with patches or holes. Again, shorts are not appropriate church wear. If you're going somewhere after church where you need to dress casually, bring a change of clothing with you and change after the coffee hour. That's not part of the divine liturgy, but it is part of the service, evidently. Hey, could you turn the the heat off right here? It's the one on the right. Thanks to cross or not to cross. Anyone who has looked around on a Sunday morning will notice that different people cross themselves at different times and sometimes in different ways. To a certain extent, when to cross oneself is according to personal piety and not an issue of dogma. Whew, I am so relieved. But... There are times when it's specifically proper to cross yourself and times when you should not cross yourself. Here is a brief list of when to cross and when not to cross. To cross. When you hear one of the variations of the phrase, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you can cross yourself. At the beginning and end of the liturgical service or your private prayers, you can cross yourself. Entering or exiting the church, you can cross yourself. When passing in front of the holy altar, you can cross yourself. Before venerating an icon, the cross or the gospel book, you can cross yourself. But do not cross yourself at the chalice, the communion chalice, before or after taking communion because you might hit the chalice with your hand as you do the, and spill the communion. <laughs> but do not cross yourself when the priest or bishop blesses you, saying, Peace be to all. Just bow slightly, receive the blessing. When receiving a blessing from a bishop or a priest, Kissing the right hand of the bishop or priest is appropriate, but not making the sign of the cross. Are we clear? Let's keep going. Now on to the fasts. Unless a fast-free period has been declared, Orthodox Christians are to keep a strict fast every Wednesday and Friday. The following foods are to be avoided. Meat, including any, any meat byproducts. Fish, meaning fish with backbones. But shellfish are permitted. Don't ask me why. Eggs and dairy products, olive oil, vegetable oil, and oil products such as margarine. Not to be confused with the communion fast. So the body and blood of our Lord may be the first thing to pass our lips in the day of communion. We abstain from all food and drink from the time we retire at midnight, or whatever comes first, than from the night before. Married couples, listen to this married couple, should abstain from sexual relations the night before communion. There are also the Lenten fast, the Apostles' Fast, the Dormition Fast, the Nativity Fast, the Eve of the Theophany Fast, the Exaltation of the Cross Fast, and the Beheading of John the Baptist's Fast. Then there are the specific marital fasts. Married couples are expected to abstain from sexual relations throughout the churches for fasting seasons, as well as on the weekly Wednesday and Friday fasts. They don't pay attention to these so much. And finally, <laughs> musical instruments in the church, part of what helped get me out of the Greek Orthodox Church. Traditionally, the Orthodox Church does not use musical instruments during church services, but during the 20th century, a few parishes of Greek and Antiochian heritage have installed organs. And this is from the Diocese of Chicago Encyclical, August 1, 1st, 1990. I quote, in her love and understanding, our Holy Orthodox Church has allowed for the use of the organ for the processional and recessional at weddings as this is part of the American wedding tradition, no other instruments, trumpet, violin, guitar, etc., are to be used for weddings or any other Orthodox sacrament for or service. Now, if you are tired of listening to that list, that's part of my point. You're just tired of listening to it. Orthodox people have to live this all the time if you want to be considered on the right side of church practice. I can say this because I was raised Greek Orthodox. I did those things. I heard those things before. I am not making this stuff up. (laughs) When scum wanted to start a liturgical service in the morning, I was not that interested. It was one of those things I let happen because I had enough liturgy to last me for three lifetimes because we did everything in triplicate. Now, I'm going to talk about legalism today. Legalism, for our purposes, are man-made rules that people put either equal to or higher than the scripture. It's okay to explain scriptures with words that go underneath it. But it's not okay to add the scriptures with words that are either equal to it or above it. Let me put it this way in my best Greek accent Explaining the scriptures is okay, adding to the scriptures, is no okay. You got that? What legalists do is legalists take good things, they are wonderful things, good things, and then make them very difficult to enjoy. Let's suppose, for example, that the American Legalists Foundation had a raffle and you won an all expenses vacation to Hawaii for a week. Sounds great. All expenses, one week in Hawaii is a wonderful thing. However, you get on the plane and you find that that both your seats to Hawaii and back from Hawaii are the middle seat between two sumo wrestlers. You have to have this seat. You can't do anything else. That's not so bad, but when you land you find out that the rules require you to sleep in a small cramped room in the back of a hotel that has no windows, which is also miles from the beach. If you ever want to go to the beach, you're required to walk the whole entire way to the beach. You may not take any other form of transportation to the beach and back. If you want to go swimming, you may not wear a regular swimsuit. Rather, you've got to wear a wetsuit, a mask, and fins every time you go in the water. You also cannot use your hotel room between sundown and sunrise. You have to be out of the hotel room between sundown and sunrise. You can only be out in the Hawaiian beauty at night, and then you can only have one meal. And that one meal has to be liver, Lima beans, stale bread, and water. You get one meal every day. If you ever eat anything else, you are required to get on the plane between the sumo wrestlers and then come back to the mainland and then pay back the American legalist foundations for any expenses they've incurred thus far. This is what legalists do. They take something that's really, really great, that's a gift, and they put so many rules around it that it's no fun anymore. As a matter of fact, it's worse than that. It becomes a burden to you. This is the background for the story we're going to read of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, beginning in chapter 6. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, And his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, first of all, I'm wondering, are they following them through the grain fields just to see what they're going to do? Because here's the deal. In the scripture, it was okay to glean on a Sabbath. You could go through, if you were hungry, and you could, if you were a poor poor person, or if you were hungry, or both, you could pick some of the produce that was growing, as long as you didn't come through with a sickle, you know, or any kind of machinery. I mean, that wouldn't be okay. That was okay, though, to glean, to take a few of the heads of grain and eat them if you were hungry. So what was the problem here? Now, you see, God had given the Ten Commandments, and one of the Ten Commandments was to keep the Sabbath holy. But that's kind of vague, really too vague for pious Jews, so the Jews decided to come up with a rule book about how to keep the Sabbath holy. They had 39 rules for keeping the Sabbath holy, the 40 minus 1, they would call it, in the Mishnah. The Mishnah was the rule book. And the Mishnah forbids threshing, winnowing, or preparing food on the Sabbath. So, Picking the grain was okay, but rubbing the kernels in your hands, like if you had an ear of corn and you were getting the husk off or something, was not okay, and it was actually preparing food, which you should have done the day before, because that's the way we do things, to keep the Sabbath holy. And so the disciples weren't breaking, really technically keeping the Sabbath holy, they were breaking the extra laws. The Mishnah, even said this about itself which i think is very telling it says that the rules about the sabbath are as a mountain are as mountains hanging by a hair for scripture is scanty and the rules are many and that is mishnah Haggagah 1 verse 8 that The rules about the Sabbath are as mountains hanging by a hair, for Scripture is scanty and the rules are many. Verse 3, Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking in the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat, And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now what Jesus is doing here, he's taking their argument, and he's taking it to its logical extreme. It becomes absurd. He's saying, you know, look, King David, who was a prophet, And revered by all of us, had a similar situation where he and his friends were running away from King Saul, who was trying to kill them, on a Sabbath. And because they were famished and had nothing to eat, it was a Sabbath, they went to the house of God and they asked the priests if they had anything to eat. And the only thing the priests had were these twelve loaves of bread which had been consecrated and placed before the altar of the Lord. It was okay for the priest to eat them later, but it wasn't okay for anybody else to eat. Twelve loaves are replaced every Sabbath, so these are the new loaves. The old ones are gone. And so the priests in the Old Testament passage, asks them some questions like, what kind of men are you? Are you holy men? Have you been sleeping on with women? Have you been stealing from people? What kind of soldiers are you anyway? And David assures them, no, they fear God. They serve God. They haven't been raping women. They're doing the right stuff. And so the priest, the holy man of God, gives to David, who is a holy man of God, and his friends to eat of the consecrated bread. Everybody knows this. Everybody's fine with this because David is the anointed king. A couple things are going on here. Jesus is not only pointing out their own history to them, their own scriptures to them, he's also making a connection. He calls himself the Son of Man, which is an Old Testament title for the Messiah, for the Son of David. It comes from the prophet Daniel's writings. It's when... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace, and King Nebuchadnezzar looks in the furnace, and he sees one, quote, like a son of man, in there with them. And he pops up again a few other times in Daniel's prophecies. So by referring to the son of man, Jesus is actually making himself to be the son of David, who is now with his companions, hungry, going through the grain fields, He's making a very strong case for his own messiahship. And then he says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath." In other words, listen, I have the ability to interpret and apply the Ten Commandments because I wrote them. This does not sit well with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the scribes, the teachers of the law, whoever was following him around looking for him to mess up. They hate it, as a matter of fact. So Luke continues the story, takes us at least a week in advance, maybe more. The theme is the Sabbath and the legalistic keeping of the Sabbath. Verse 6. On another Sabbath... He, meaning Jesus, went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath, because they had their rules by gum. And the rules in the Mishnah said that If there was a problem with you physically on the Sabbath, only certain things could be taken care of. For example, if you were a woman in labor giving birth to a baby, then it was okay for people to help you give birth to your baby. So Kimberly Hyde, right now, will be covered under the Mishnah rules. You could go over there and be your midwife and not get into trouble by breaking their rules. If you had incurred an accidental injury, it was like an emergency room visit. Then somebody could help bind up your wounds or make sure you were okay according to the Mishnah, the rules about keeping the Sabbath. But you see this guy With a shriveled hand. This has been going on for some time. And he had to come back for healing during regular office hours. I'm sorry, Jesus. No house calls on the Sabbath. This is their problem. So Jesus doesn't ask him to do a bit of work. (laughs) Jesus... Let's read starting in verse 8. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So the man got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on this Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all. I mean imagine Jesus scanning the room. Looking around at them all. Cuz we are coming to a climactic point here in the narrative. Sometimes when I read the Bible I put this soundtrack. What's music would be playing? In the background, as Jesus looks at them all, asked that kind of question. And then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand, right hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious, and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, this involves basically the same legalistic rules as the first. They think after the first problem, their case against him is coming to its full conclusion. And in light of that, Jesus performs the healing. Jesus has the guy stand up in front of everybody so they can see what he's going to do. Jesus is in their faces. Jesus' question to them goes beyond their Mishnah rules, their legalism, about whether the healing could have been postponed today or not. But Jesus implies in his double question... That if any illness is left unattended, when healing can be provided, then that's evil. In other words, evil is done by default when you have the chance to do something good and you don't do it. Jesus says evil is done by default when you have the chance to do something good for someone and you don't do it. I'm going to say that again, because this is an application point. Jesus says that evil is done when you have the chance to do something good for somebody, but you don't. These guys are so focused around the head part of the Sabbath and keeping the rules that their hearts are far, far from the Lord. For Jesus is the Lord. He's the one that made up the rules. The Ten Commandment rules, not these man-made rules. Here's the irony. If healing a man on the Sabbath was considered sinful in their minds, how much more is plotting somebody's death Because the Gospel of Mark tells us from this point on that they began to plot the death of Jesus. This is not the only place that this incident is recorded in Scripture. Because unintentional violations of the Sabbath like I mean, people made mistakes, right were normally treated lightly. but if you willfully broke the Sabbath, that was a capital offense as far as the Jewish religion was concerned. So these guys go beyond even their own teachings here. This is interesting to me, uh, this whole interchange between Jesus and this man with the withered hand. Because Jesus asked him to do the impossible. Do you realize that? Jesus asked him to raise his hand. And in that man's mind, he's probably thinking, "Uh, Jesus, hands shriveled up, can't do it. But it was his faith that actually motivated him to lift his hand. Kierkegaard said this is one of the most crucial definitions for the whole of Christianity that the opposite of sin is not virtue, but faith. The opposite of sin is not virtue, but faith. The opposite of doing the wrong thing is not doing the right things all the time. The opposite of doing the wrong things is having faith in Christ to heal you. Isn't that great for those of you who are stuck in addictions? Isn't that good news for you? It's good news for me. Go to the next slide, Dan. Here's some famous church legalists. <laughs> Honestly, one of my favorite Saturday Night Live skits of all time is the church lady. Honestly, legalism rules. We had an incident here just a little while ago. I'm going to use to illustrate legalism within this context. Um, How many of you have done the whole 30 diet for 30 days? I mean, there's several of us. I know Morning Church is probably full of people. Uh, But I have. It was a great benefit to me. In this diet, you eat meat, vegetables, and fruit. That's it. You don't have any grains of any kind. You don't have any beans of any kind. No dairy of any kind. No added sugars and no alcohol for 30 days. It was fantastic for me. I lost 10 pounds, I felt better, I looked better, it was amazing, right? It's like a step beyond paleo. But when you're on this thing, it's like all your focus. Because there's so much you normally eat that you can't eat. And so you go to a restaurant and you're ordering and you've got to quiz the waitress on all sorts of, how is this cooked and blah, 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 you you know, and you become that guy in the restaurant You know? One guy in my home group called called it, well, he started calling calling it the asshole 30. (laughs) Because, you know, we're always worried about what we're eating. So, So Mary Alice Gerke is in church. We're having communion. She's meditating on having communion and what that means to her spiritually. And she gets up, she gets in line. It's a very, you know... Tender, emotional, spiritual time, and she's almost got her eyes closed. She walks up. Jesse Heilman is presenting the elements. And then Mary Ellis, because she's not been thinking about this at all. She's been in church, doing the church stuff, looks at the communion plate and the cup and realizes, I can't eat any of this, and says so out loud. Jesse, nonplussed, just turns the plate, presenting her the gluten-free crackers, (laughs) at least. And so Mary's got a dilemma. She's got to figure this out. What do I do? Let me think. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. The whole 30 people are saying, No added sugars, no fruit juice, no grains of any kind. Hmm. I think I will go with Scripture. And so she took communion. How Not to Be a Legalist by Mary Alice Gerke. There we go. Now... You've heard me talk about Mark Driscoll and his uh, recent resignation from Mars Hill, the imminent destruction of Mars Hill as a church. Um, He hasn't come up in the best light, but actually Mark was preaching on this very passage, and he came up with a list of how to be a legalist from this passage that I thought was fantastic. And so I'm going to share it with you right now. Mark Driscoll's How to Become a Legalist in Six Easy Steps. Number one, make rules that are equal to the Bible or over it. We've talked about that. Number two, push yourself to keep the rules. We're all familiar with this. Anybody's ever gone on a new exercise program or a diet or you're trying to make changes in your life after January 1st, New Year's resolutions, you know what this is like. You make your rules and you push yourself to keep them. Sometimes the chagrin of everybody around you. Number three, punish yourself when you break the rules. The Catholic Church, they would say, "Mia culpa, mia culpa, my fault." You would take a whip and start whipping the back of your yourself, punishing yourself because you didn't keep your own rules. Oh, I ate that chocolate cake. Now I've got to do 500 push-ups. Whatever. Make atonement for yourself. Four. This is worse. Be proud when you keep your rules. I've done pretty good today. Yeah, I'm doing great. Look at me. I'm awesome. We all get sucked in by this. Look at yourself in the mirror, looking pretty good, svelte, nice, hot. I mean, seriously, we all do this. You start losing a few pounds, you do well, and all of a sudden the pride starts rising, and you are impossible to live with or to be around. Number five, appoint yourself a judge over others about keeping the rules. Because if you're doing well... And somebody else is not doing so well, especially if that person is your spouse, boy, they're gonna hear about it. You really want to eat that? I don't know. You're filling out those genes a little bit too much, honey. Whatever you would say, you become a jerk. Maybe you had kids like this in your grade school, you know, who would go tell the teacher when you were doing something that wasn't quite right like shooting spitwads at the photographs in the cafeteria. There was always some self-appointed police ch- child who would go and turn you in. <laughs> I'm making this up, but it has no bearing in real- reality. Six, get angry with and beat those who break the rules. And of course, this happens as you get older and have more power to do so. So I was thinking, what are SCUM's preferred interpretations of the Bible or in sermon language? What are our legalistic rules? I got several. I'm sure you can come up with your own. But asking for suggestions from the crowd at SCUM is always a dangerous idea. (laughs) So, you know, talked to a few people and um, we came up with these. Number one, deconstruct the church to make it more like Jesus. i got to tell you, the scum of the earth at its beginning was more about what not to be as a church than it was about what to be as a church. We couldn't use certain words like fellowship. That was out. We had to say hangout time. No fake plants. Absolutely no fake plants were allowed in the building which you realize after a while becomes a legalism in itself, does it not? Which is why if you look over to my right, there's a poinsettia over there, which is fake, and there's a sign on it that says, Obligatory Fake Church Plant. Just so we're not too legalistic. Number two. It's not cool to show much enthusiasm during the church service. We are chill. <laughs> we don't get up, no waving of the hands, no dancing around unless you're 10 or under. If you're 10 or under, you're Viva or you're, you know, Emmett, you can run around and dance. It's okay. But adults, we're chill. <laughs> At had a girl. Number three, God never speaks through slick preachers. God never speaks through slick preachers. No, we don't believe it. Especially if they're on television, wearing a suit and tie with their hair slicked back. Doesn't work. Or if you're uber cool, you know, Mark Driscoll in Seattle, which is why we had an excerpt from Mark Driscoll's sermon so that I'm trying not to be legalistic. You see, God can use anybody. God can speak through anybody. God can speak through a donkey's ass. I mean, he can. He's done so. So God can speak through anybody, but we prefer not to believe that. Our rules say they aren't legitimate, they aren't authentic, they aren't genuine, all those kinds of words. If it's not artistic, it's not from God. Ooh. See, I'm going from preaching to meddling here, aren't I? am I not? If <laughs> it's not artistic, it's not from God. Because, you know, there are some pretty bad poems out there. Are there not? Could not be from God. There are some people who think they can paint. We know better. You know? I mean, seriously, is it possible to paint by numbers to the glory of God? Is that even a thing? I think it would be, yeah. But we tend to think not. We tend to think not. These are rules. They're coming up with Scripture. You go in above, but at least equal to. These are our legalistic rules at scum. We gotta watch out, gotta be careful, because we can become just like those people in the New Testament story, whether we don't believe it or whether we do believe it. Another one, don't judge anybody about anything. All things are permissible. at SCUM. We we do not know. We're not gonna go there. What you do is your business. What I do is my business. Not gonna judge, not it's not a good thing to judge. When the scripture says it's okay to judge those within the house of God. We're not supposed to judge those outside. But people within the household of God, we're supposed to judge. It's called holding each other accountable. You see, that's scripture. But we go beyond it and we say, Well, whatever you're doing is fine. I who am I to say anything? That's legalism. Those are rules, not scripture. Here's one. It's going to be tough. It's okay to have sex with someone if you really love the person and plan on being married to each other someday. Uh oh. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible is all about chastity until the covenant of marriage. <sighs> Next one. I don't have to know the Bible as th- that well as long as I belong to a church where the staff does. <laughs> Not true. Thy word I have hidden in my heart, that I may not sin against thee. It's one of those commands that everybody is supposed to adhere to. It's biblical to hide the word of God in your heart, to know, to be able to make an apt defense for your faith. It's over and over again, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. And these are the scriptures, not, ah, we'll let Mike do it. Well, let... Adam do it. We'll let Jesse do it. We'll let Leah do it. You know, Leah is the only MDiv we have left on staff, and I'm probably holding on to her way too tightly. <laughs> I like having seminary trained people on staff, so this is a problem for me too. And last one, God likes beards and plaids better. Does he not? I'm reading all about the lumber sexual now on the internet. And I'm thinking, that's been going on at scum for years. Come on. If you want to know what's happening in the fashion world, come here first. And you'll know. Because we got it going on. (laughs) These guys are all from New York. I know you can tell by the way they're dressed. (laughs) Anyway, maybe you've got your own legalism that you can add for the church, for your family, for yourself personally. Let's beware of that, okay? Let's be aware and beware of that. When we take anything else except for Scripture and make it equal to Scripture or higher than Scripture, we're in big, big trouble. And we're on the path to becoming legalists. We don't want to do that. We want to stay faithful to Jesus. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your clarity on this. Thank you, Jesus, that you have the wisdom on how to poke holes in the arguments of legalists like us. Keep our eyes focused on you. Don't let us turn to the left or the right. Help us to be your people, more concerned about your heart than about our rules. And we ask all these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.